So it's, uh, you know, Christmas time. We just got through Hanukkah time. And I wanted to write a special Christmas message for my Jewish congregation for their benefit and for the benefit of doing some outreach. And then I wanted to write a special message for you for Christmas also. So between Christmas Eve and the following week, I've got a couple of uh, Christmas-oriented messages with Book of Life in mind. But the one I made with Bessar in mind, I also want to share with you because I think that the heritage and the history are rich and it'll nevertheless be a blessing because it is God's word and you get to know a bit about the background of some of these things that we have been taking for granted for so many years. So we're going to look at uh, Christmas. And I told him yesterday, the title of my sermon yesterday was Christmas, the Fulfilling of Messianic Prophecy. But then as I got through it, I thought I should change the title to Christmas is a Jewish Holiday. Or at least it should be. And Michael changed the bulletin. I see he put that in there, so that was pretty cool. You'll see what I'm talking about. We're going to look at three specific prophecies, even though there's many more. I just have time to look at three of them, how Jesus fulfills them, and some Jewish background to them. So I'm starting off in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, and this, was, this is what it says. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Isaiah lived somewhere, you know, in like the 9th century B.C. So in the 800s B.C., this prophecy was made. So the Jewish people had hundreds of years to think about this prophecy, translate it, interpret it, analyze, question it, wonder what it meant. Now there's a um, controversy about the translation today. It says, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. The controversy is from two different areas. One area is from kind of like agnostic people who don't believe a virgin can have a baby, so obviously that can't be what it says. And the Hebrew word doesn't have to mean virgin, it can mean young woman. And so they say, ah, you translated it in the mystical way when all you had to do was translate it, young woman, and then it's not a big miracle and it's not a big thing. And then there's another school that appreciates that translation too, and that's the Jewish community, because they don't believe Jesus is the Messiah. They don't believe he fulfills messianic prophecy. And since Christians believe he was virgin born, they prefer to think that they are misunderstanding the Bible, so it doesn't give them any pressure to believe in a virgin birth. So something that you and I take for granted is actually quite controversial. And there is some legitimacy to the confusion over the Hebrew language. Some legitimacy. Let me tell you what I think about it. We're going to jump forward 800 years to Matthew chapter 1. Here's what it says. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Jesus means Jehovah saves. Yahshua. Yah for like Yahweh, and Shua for salvation. Yahweh saves, so God saves. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear her son, and she shall call his name Emmanuel. So here's the thing that we have to understand. When this was written, there were no Christians. When Matthew chapter 1 was written, you can't say, oh, that's the Christian perspective. There were no Christians. They were all Jews. 
So all you can say is, no, that's the Jewish perspective. Or a Jewish perspective. And it's not the only perspective, because even though Matthew was brand new, Isaiah chapter 7 wasn't. What version of the Bible were they quoting? They weren't quoting the Hebrew. They were quoting the Greek. The Septuagint had already been written at this time. It was written in Alexandria, Egypt. They got supposedly 70 rabbis together, and they were all supposed to give a translation of the Torah, and it all came out, according to the story, exactly the same. And that was a sign to them that it was divine, and God was behind it. Well, that's not a sign to me. That makes sense to me that it'd be the same, because they were all trained the same. <laughs> but nevertheless, there was a Greek language Bible that the Jewish community used. It was their King James of the day. It was the most popular Bible of the time. So they were quoting from the Greek. And the Greek in the Septuagint, the word is Parthenos, which stands for virgin. So before there ever were any Christians, the Jewish Bible of the time translated this passage as virgin. There was no controversy. That's what everybody accepted. And so the arguments today, in my opinion, are invalid. Listen to what Cyrus Gordon said. Cyrus Gordon was a leading Jewish scholar, formerly professor of Assyriology and Egyptology at Dropsy College. Quote, The commonly held view that virgin is Christian, whereas young woman, is the other translation, young woman is Jewish, is not quite true. The fact is that the Septuagint, which is the Jewish translation made in pre-Christian Alexandria, takes Alma to mean virgin here. Accordingly, the New Testament follows Jewish interpretation in Isaiah 7.14. In the Jewish mindset, somebody being born of a virgin, the Messiah being born of a virgin, is a foreign concept introduced by Christians and they don't want to have anything to do with it. But they're mistaken. They're misinformed. It's a, Christ, it's a Jewish concept introduced by the Jewish prophet through the Holy Spirit as a promise for the coming of Messiah. And the promise was fulfilled in Jesus. There's not much the typical Jewish person knows about Christmas. Even though you take it for granted because it's your culture and your heritage and your religion. Let me tell you, I was in college, okay? Already a believer a couple years, and I didn't know what day Christmas fell on. I was born and raised Jewish. Why would I know? Steve, it's a, it's a big holiday. Yeah, but you got to understand my frame of reference. The Jewish calendar every year is different. So you say, when is Passover? Nobody knows. you got to look at the Jewish calendar because it's a lunar calendar, not a solar calendar. So it doesn't fall on the same day every year. So you never know when any Jewish holiday is unless you have the calendar. Now, for us, we say, oh, yeah, Christmas is December 25th. Well, yeah, but I didn't know that. I thought it would have been different every year like all the other holidays were. And don't we have some holidays like that? Thanksgiving's like that. Easter's like that. So there's not a lot about Christmas Jewish people know. But, you know, being part of the culture, you do learn some things. You know, I heard that Jesus was born of a virgin because I knew the song Silent Night. How could I not? How can you live in this culture and not hear that song a gazillion times? Round yon virgin, mother and child. Okay, Jesus was born of a virgin. Heard that. Oh, little town of Bethlehem. Ah, he's from Bethlehem. Yep, heard that. So I didn't know much about Christmas. Didn't know much about Jesus. But I heard he was born of a virgin from Bethlehem. Didn't know where Bethlehem was. Thought it was some Christian place. 
Had no idea it was in Israel. See, I was highly educated. Here's what the Jewish Bible says. Micah chapter 5. Again, we're talking 700 to 800 years before Jesus was born. Here's what it says. But you, Bethlehem, Ephratah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. So, another prophecy. The ruler in Israel is going to come out of Bethlehem. We go now 800 years forward to the New Testament. Here's what it says about Jesus. Matthew 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we, we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. So Herod gathers all the scribes and priests and rabbis together, Say, hey, where's the Messiah supposed to come from? Verse 4. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. So they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. They all knew that when the Messiah would come, he would be born in Bethlehem. Now you may not know this, though the Christmas story says it. Bethlehem is the city where King David came from. That's why Jesus was born there, because he's a descendant of King David. And God had promised that two things. A descendant of King David would be the Messiah, and he would actually be born in Bethlehem. Now, that was a problem because Joseph and Mary, both descendants of David, didn't live in Bethlehem. They lived in Nazareth. So why in the world, how in the world, if Jesus is the Messiah, would he be born in Bethlehem? You know the story. God decided to raise up some Romans who decided that it was time to do a tax census and required everybody to go back to their family's town of origin. This isn't the first time or the last time the Romans did it. It was known this is what the Romans do. So coincidentally, Mary happened to be pregnant at the time and just coincidentally gave birth while she was in Bethlehem. God worked it all out. Lots of Jewish material on Messiah coming from Bethlehem. There's an ancient Jewish source called a Targum. A Targum is like a Jewish Bible, but instead of a straight translation, it's more like a paraphrase with commentary woven right into the paraphrase. This is what Targum Jonathan says about Micah chapter 5. Quote, and I'm going to condense it. Out of thee, Bethlehem, shall Messiah go forth to exercise dominion, whose name has been spoken from the day of eternity. So the common Jewish belief was, as I pointed out through the scholars in Matthew chapter 2, that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem. Now, you go forward several hundred years to the days of Jewish scholars past the time of Jesus who don't believe in Jesus. One of the most prolific Jewish writers one of the most well-known Jewish scholars is a rabbi named Rashi. Have you ever heard of the Talmud? Yeah? How many of you have ever seen a copy of it? Let me see your hands. Okay, just one of you. Two. Any more? It's like the Encyclopedia Britannica. It's like 15, 20, it's huge. It's volume after volume after volume after volume. Okay, Rashi 
wrote a commentary on the Talmud. He wrote a commentary on something that's 25 books long. And his commentary is so well respected that it's included in most modern translations of the Talmud. That's how amazing this guy is seen to be. And he also wrote a commentary on the entire Torah. So this guy, highly respected, highly prolific, not a believer in Jesus, a rabbi from the Middle Ages, here's what he said about that verse. Out of thee shall come forth unto me Messiah, the son of David. So there is no strong argument from a Jewish perspective that Messiah was not supposed to be born in Bethlehem. He was. He is. He was. Born of a virgin. The Jewish Bible says so. The New Testament, which was also written by Jews, says so. And some commentators understood, including the Septuagint, that that was to be the case. The Messiah was supposed to be born in Bethlehem. Jesus was. New Testament says so. And Jewish scholars say Messiah comes from Bethlehem. Third fulfilled prophecy. The Messiah is to be the Savior. There's plenty of references. I'm going to read from Isaiah chapter 53 about the Messiah. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Messiah is supposed to be the Savior. Luke chapter 2. Then the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. I'm going to talk about Savior tonight, probably Christmas Eve and next week also. Because that's the main thing about Christmas. That's the main thing about Jesus. Everything else doesn't matter. He came to save us from our sins. That's why he came. So I told you about Rashi. Let me tell you about some more Jewish rabbis. Very famous rabbi named Nachmanides. He is called, lovingly, the Ramban. Okay, Ramban takes the letters of his lengthy name and puts those letters together as an acrostic. Here's his name. Rabbi Moshe ben Nachman. You take the R from Rabbi, the M from Moshe, the B from Ben, and the N from Nachman, and you get R-M-B-N, Ramban. So they just call him Ramban for short because his name is too long. <laughs> and even Jewish people think so. Now... He wrote in the Middle Ages. He lived from 1194 to 1270. A couple weeks ago, I told you about a guy named Maimonides. This guy is Nachmanides. I told you about a guy named Maimonides, whose name is the Rambam. So in Jewish history, in the Middle Ages, you got a famous Ramban and a famous Rambam. Ah, if that's not confusing, you're a better man than I. His commentary, that is the Rambans, is often to give a different perspective than Rashi. So Rashi is the man. But if you want an opposing opinion, you want to read Nachmanides. You want to read Ramban. And he'll give you another perspective. 
One of the things I like about Ramban is he gives his own perspective and he gives other perspectives. So what he does is he says, here's what I think to be true, but here's what some other Jewish sages think too. He addresses Isaiah chapter 53 on the Messiah being the Savior from another guy's perspective. Here's what he says, and I quote, the Midrash, which is commentary on the, on the Talmud, the Midrash refers it to the Messiah, the son of David, of whom the text speaks. And by his stripes we are healed. Because the stripes by which he is vexed and distressed will heal us. God will pardon us for his righteousness. And we shall be healed both from our own transgressions and from the iniquities of our fathers. Is that not the gospel? It is. That's exactly what Isaiah chapter 53 teaches. And I'm thankful that Nachmanides recorded that divergent opinion from other rabbis because it is the one we hold. Messiah will be born of a virgin. It's Jewish. It's biblical. Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. It's Jewish. It's biblical. Messiah will be the Savior. It's Jewish. It's biblical. Virgin, Bethlehem, Savior, fulfilled in Jesus, fulfilled in Jesus, fulfilled in Jesus. Now, when I talk about salvation, and when the Bible talks about salvation, there's actually two aspects of salvation. There's two kinds of salvation. And we Christians make the mistake of only thinking of the one kind, saved from our sins. That's good, but the Bible talks about another kind too. And sometimes the verses we're reading might be talking about one kind or the other kind. So you're mistaken when you translate it always as spiritual. And sometimes it's talking about both together. There's physical salvation. There's spiritual salvation. Save us from our enemies. Save us from ourselves. Physical, spiritual. Jesus came to make peace possible between God and man. Spiritual. Then he'll come back and make peace on earth. Physical salvation. He'll put down the enemies of Israel. End all war. The law will go forth from Zion. The wolf will dwell with the lamb. They will neither hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. Peace on earth, goodwill towards men. That's for Messiah's second coming. First coming is spiritual salvation. The New Testament says there's not a just man on the face of the earth that does good and doesn't sin. That's in Romans. But in saying that, it's referencing the Old Testament. Let me give you another Old Testament verse about everybody being infected by the disease called sin. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, There's not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. You believe that to be true? Yeah. You uh, know the Bible, you know it to be true, but there's a lot of people that don't know that to be true. Telling them they're a sinner offends them. Makes them feel like they're being judged. Well, they are. But I can say you're a sinner because I'm one too. I'm not judging you. I'm just saying you're in the same boat I am. Are you saying you're not a sinner? Are you saying you're better than me? Maybe you're judging me. <laughs> We're all sinners. Every one of us. And anybody who thinks they're not is really, really arrogant. And not looking at themselves right. Listen, you, you don't think you're a sinner? Introduce me to some of your friends. Let me ask their perspective about you. I'm sure we'll get unanimous assent. And these are your friends. I'm sure your enemies will tell me you're a sinner. We're all sinners. 
sin isn't... Um, it's not just you're a murderer or a rapist or a bank robber, even though within our hearts maybe we're all those things too. Sin is, is doing things God doesn't want us to do. So when we tell a little lie, you can call it a white lie, but you're just saying that because you want to make it sound better than it is, because I'm sure you told black lies too. I don't want you to put up your hands, but if I were to say, how many of you in this room have never lied? If you put up your hands, I'd just call you a liar. <laughs> Everybody lies. We try not to. We know it's wrong. We repent. We give our lives to Christ, and we lie a lot less. But what is it about us that makes us do bad things? I've asked you this before, but we always have new people here, and it's always powerful, so I'm going to ask again. To prove that we're all sinners, infected by a cancer of our souls, born to do bad. I'm going to ask you a fair question, and I'll put up my hand first. I'll lead the way. How many of you knew something was wrong, didn't want to do it, but chose to do it anyway? Let me see your hands. Yeah, almost everybody's putting up their hands. If that's not proof, I don't know what proof is. That's exactly what sin is. So sin is three things. It's doing things we're not supposed to do. Lying, lusting, cheating, living for ourselves. It's not doing things that God wants us to do. Studying the Bible. If you don't read the Bible, you're sinning. So it's not just doing bad, it's refraining from doing good. If you don't give to the poor, if you're not forgiving of your enemies, if you're not patient and kind. So sinning is doing bad things, but it's also refraining from doing enough good things. And the third one, the most important one of all, is what I shared with you just a moment ago. The infection. Our inability to do good even if we want to do good. There's something wrong with us that we're bent to do bad. Man is born unto troubles as the sparks fly upward, says Job. We can't help it. Just like sparks fly up, we're going to do bad. That's why Jesus came. He came to save us from that I don't know about you, but I want to be saved from that. Now, we limp along in our lives. We do okay. But how many of you have never been just depressed, distressed, discouraged, down? All of us have. More than once. If you've been discouraged, distressed, and frustrated with life, and even questioned why you're even here more than once, let me see your hand. Almost everybody's hand went up again. Jesus came to save us from that. That's a, this is a, that, talk about a Christmas present. That's a gift. He came to undo that within our souls. Unfortunately, it's not an immediate process. But it's an immediate promise. He will fix everyone who trusts in him. He won't start you and then leave you hanging. He will fix you 100% and physically make you heaven worthy. And when the time is right, he will remove all of that cancer from your soul called sin, usher you into a paradise where you will have no more tears, no more sorrow for the rest of your existence. That's what Christmas is about. When the Bible says Jesus is our Savior, that's what it's talking about. But the only way to be saved is by acknowledging you need to be saved. And asking Jesus to save you. Telling him you believe he died for your sins. And promising to pursue him over anything else.
Now, with that context in mind, I want to read to you those three prophecies again from the New Testament, the fulfillment stage. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take you, Mary, for your wife. For that which, conceived, that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. All this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, The virgin shall conceive and bear forth a son. By the way, one little aside before I read the other two again. People often speculate why Jesus had to be born of a virgin. Well, if he was born of Joseph and Mary, he would just be a man. Got plenty of those running around. We needed better. We needed more. We needed somebody who was God in human flesh. And that was the only way to do it. One human parent and the mother. Also, it's speculated that the sin nature would have been passed through the father and not through the mother. And that's why Jesus could be born as a full human, but not with a sin nature. And therefore, he could live a sinless life and die for our sins and redeem us. Second prophecy, fulfilled. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, and lastly, Luke chapter 2, Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Please join me in prayer. Lord God, thank you for sending us a Savior. And I look forward to the day and pray that you will hasten it when our redemption is completed and the evil is taken out of our souls and there's nothing but peace and joy, peace on earth and goodwill towards men. But until then, Lord God, help us to live godly, noble lives and help us to tell others about our Savior. May this Christmas Eve at Book of Life Community Church be our richest ever. May more people come to know you than they ever have. May those 1,700 gospel tracts and candy canes we passed out at Winter Haven bear fruit. And may some of those people come to us and learn about Jesus. For it's in his name that we pray. And all God's children say, Amen. Amen.